0: Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi.
1: And I'm Katie Halper.
0: We have a great show for you coming up. Uh, we're going to, again, just hide the identity of the guest until it's time yeah. to tell you who it is, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a cool guest. It's a good I've one, got, yeah. got, got Got a lot of great things to say. For those of you who didn't, didn't follow our Monday morning episode uh, where we review the Sunday News shows, we have a new hero on this show uh, yeah. who is a... Um, uh, a television reporter, a former television reporter by the name of Charles Jaco, who's who's just really funny. And our uh, our intrepid producer, Matt William, uh, Wilson, Matt Williams. Matt Williams Sorry. is a baseball player.
1: Our intrepid producer, not Matt Williams, but Matt Wilson.
0: Yeah, Matt Sorry. Williams was a baseball player, yeah.
1: Right, he's also my imaginary friend. He's Matt's imaginary friend producer.
0: Right, right. Not that person, or the right. actual person, Matt w- uh, Wilson. Did a, uh, did a little compilation for us of uh, the greatest hits of Charles Jaco. We just wanted to take a quick look to, re- to introduce...
1: It's Jaco of the week.
0: Jaco of the week. This is just this is real quick. This, this is our new hero we've discovered.
1: This is a, a cool clip of a, a very offended, triggered Tea Party member asking Charles Jaco about, speaking of members, about uh, whether or not he knows what tea bagging means.
2: Hey, Mr. Jaco, why do you constantly use the sexually derisive term, teabagger? Oh, I didn't know it was. You didn't know it was, really? No, I didn't know it was. Seriously, no, nobody you, nobody can you, can ever you, told you what... The, no, no, can you, you never, can, you, can you tell me what it is? I, if if no, you'd I'm, like I'm, me to, sure, I would. Sure. See, it's a, if you want to go to Wikipedia, you got a blackberry, you never Wikipedia a teabagger, ever. No, no,
3: no, can you tell me what it is? And you don't know the... And, and can you tell me what your interest
2: is? My interest is yes. that you constantly use it as a way to derive tea baggers. You know, as what you call tea baggers. Oh, all
0: right.
2: Why, why do you do that? You, 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 you're seriously gonna look me in the face and tell me you did not know the negative connotation of tea bagger? That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I told you, a smoker. Wow. Yeah. Never heard it from Keith Olbermann or. No. Rachel no, but Maddow. I, no, but, I, but
3: I'll tell you what, uh, since you seem to be uh, well versed in it, can you tell me what it is? I'm not well versed in the practice, but I know You seem to be well versed in the practice. Can you tell me what it is? Because I have <laughs> not, no idea what
0: it is. Not in.
3: I just know. Would you like to I just know that they represent radical extremists, but in terms of teabagging, can you tell me what it is?
2: Absolutely. Wonder, I'd be more than happy to tell you what it is, okay? Uh, the negative sexual connotation to teabagging is the practice of placing one's genitalia on another's face. Oh, that's vile. Yes, it is. How did you know something like that? Well, it's in Wikipedia and it's a commonly used uh, slang. How did you know something like that? It's commonly used slang.
3: I I can't believe somebody so young and fresh-faced would know something so absolutely
2: repulsive. It is repulsive. That's creepy. Don't you think it's repulsive that you use the term all the time? and now that you know what the term means are you willing i like to stop the cigarette
4: busy?
2: well i'll tell you what <laughs> I it have on to look it
3: up because i'm not sure whoever you are that you're a bunch of reliable source for anything but well just go check
2: wikipedia i mean it's it's pretty uh, no. common oh, wikipedia. how do you spell oh, it I, mean, I think you know
1: that's, that's, that's good funny. i mean
0: he's just kind of graduated and, and you know he's just deadpan yeah,
1: right deadpan. i like that yeah
0: yeah i, like I that mean when it, you
1: pretend not to know something he, the guy was really weird though who was that bothering him you i don't know it's like a, of
0: it's, so, sort of like a uh mm-hmm. what's what's that uh right wing gotcha organization oh yeah
1: veritas veritas, veritas
0: right yeah. yeah uh it's like it's like veritas light seems like
1: Veritas Light, yeah very yeah yeah
0: ver no it uh there, there's 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 kind of a wacky playful <laughs> side of him you know, with that with that uh coat we showed the other day of him saying just suis in journaliste east yeah. like that yeah, that's very that's very good out. so yeah Howard, who, uh, found, who
1: came up with even using like was that you who found i know wilson you put the thing together but matt was that you who like chose him as a to to focus on for the fashion yeah because i
0: was i was looking for for old school reporters who who do the hands on hips thing. Right. Um, and I, I, I remembered him cause he was, he was like famous for the, for the khaki on khaki look, but then, then you, we found those outtakes, which were really, really funny. So yeah, right. anyway, we'll have more about Charles Jaco later, but, um, yeah. just to uh, remind people about that period there, there was a period there or about three or four months when, <laughs> when a lot of these kind of tea party types we're, we're stuck between should we continue calling ourselves teabaggers or, sh- or should we react with outrage to the fact right, that people right. are, are bringing up what it really is? And they, they, they kept with it for months.
1: Yeah, they did. Uh, it's kind of brave.
0: It was brave. I think it was a wrong move. You think it was a you know? wrong move? Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, if they had owned it, if they had the balls, <laughs> if only they had the balls to stand by it in a, in a, <laughs> by, and saying it. You know they should have just said we're pro. They should have just said they're T part T bag positive. And by the way, the definition he's not that tea partier is so stupid. He doesn't even. It's not genitals. It's testes in particular.
0: Yeah, it's it has to be testicles. Yeah, yeah, and only testicles.
1: Test yes, testicles and only testicles. By the testicles for the testicles and of the testicles. Right,
0: because if, if there's anything else involved, then then we're talking about something else entirely. We're doomed. Right. And you have to have that visual of dunking the tea bag in the yeah. tea.
1: Right, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Now I get why you're saying testicles and only testicles. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All
0: right. All right. So let's get to the four food groups. All right. Am I up first? Yeah,
1: you're up. But Dems suck. Yeah.
0: All right. Dems suck. So I'm being a little bit disingenuous here because I could have, this could have been easily uh, Republican suck too. Felt like pointing it out that there has been an epidemic of Former officials who are going on television and appearing in sort of big time media uh, opining on the Afghanistan story and being identified by their titles and not by their current occupation. Uh, And and, uh, and so one of the worst offenders has been Jay Johnson, who was the Homeland Security Secretary under Obama. You might remember he actually, once upon a time, played kind of a key role in the Russiagate story, but that's a long, long time ago. He was all over the news about Afghanistan. Let's just look at some of the clips, because what's what's notable about this is that he went on basically every cable channel and not one of them did the right thing. So Matt, if we could just see uh, each one of those in succession. So here he is with Wolf what well, I was
4: listening to the prior discussion um... There, Aaron, there's his
0: identification, to... former Secretary, Secretary, Secretary,
1: Secretary, Secretary. of Homeland Security.
4: People in the Situation Room in the Biden administration, many of whom I serve in the Obama administration, I remember what it's like uh, four or five years ago to uh, be in the hot seat, be in the midst of a, a crisis. It does seem, however, obvious that our government did not anticipate the situation in Kabul at the international airport and the mass exodus that would be attempted. Had we anticipated this, had we seen this coming, we would have, for example, uh, left open Bagram Air Base.
0: Let's go on to the next one. So remember, he's talking about, let's. we should have left open a base. Here he is on Face the Nation, CBS. When
4: are we leaving? If not now, when? If I were advising the president, I probably would have recommended that we keep in place, in country, uh, a highly trained force of about 2,500 or so, for counterterrorism purposes, um, the president I know understands the stakes. Uh, he's heard it before. Eight years as vice president, and has decided, uh, along with the support of most Americans, apparently, that it is simply time to get out. So
0: we can move on to the next one. Remember, he, he, here he is. The, he's, he's saying, "Let's let's do let's leave 2,500 special forces in, in country." Uh, here he is on CBS this morning.
4: It, it does seem as though we had to rush. Get the six thousand in. We did not anticipate, and the president acknowledged this. We did not anticipate the speed with which the Afghan government would collapse and should the Taliban have, should would he have anticipated control. it? Do you think? Given it, it's difficult to second guess. I don't have the intelligence assessments anymore that I used to read every single day when I was secretary. Yeah. But it does seem as though, given the timeline, given the timeline we were on, that uh, this Afghan government was going to collapse rapidly because of the way in which we we got out and because of their own inability to fight the whole thing collapsed like uh, like collapsed like a tent on toothpicks
0: this is MSNBC
1: I like the way he spells his name
4: Bring in
2: the former okay. Secretary of Homeland Security under President Obama no to talk about Secretary all of this, Homeland Jay Security. Johnson. Mr. Secretary, good to see you this morning. Um, let's start with good Afghanistan morning, and the announcement we're expected to hear from President Biden today that before the 20th anniversary of September 11th, almost 20 years since that October day when the first troops set foot in the, in the country, that they'll be coming home, all of them. What's your reaction to that, and what do you think are the implications for the global threat assessment? What does it mean for the threat of terrorism from that part of the
4: world? Well, the first time I visited Afghanistan when I was general counsel of the Defense Department in two thousand nine, there were things that struck me. One, it's a mountainous terrain; uh, it is largely ungoverned you notice space, the mountains. very That's tribal, good. and the Taliban basically takes the attitude that we may have the watches, but they have the time. Not much has changed over the last 12 years. They've essentially uh, been we waiting can count the people who said that until the last we finally leave. Uh, we have to be realistic that when that happens, they will likely overrun the country. They will overwhelm the existing government. There will be a huge setback to women's rights uh, there are not many good solutions. There is no obvious better solution uh, to leaving. Ideally, there should be a three-way agreement between the Taliban, the Afghan government, and the United States. But that's not going to happen.
1: So, Matt, you're—you're. You're, I think it's very important to you know this is very relevant experience, right? His background, his past. But what is it that they're leaving out that you think is so relevant right now?
0: Just. Quickly, he, he goes on and in one in one of those to advocate the so-called middle ground plan, is. which is like you know let's not go all the way out, you know let's do it in stages, whatever. No, uh, Jay Johnson sits on the board of Lockheed Martin now. That's his job,
1: oh. right? And
0: so this, this this has become it's it's incredibly frustrating because this is all over the news media now, and it's not just Jay Johnson. He's he's one of the worst because he's on TV a lot. You have people like Condoleezza Rice, who's who's um, you know she's on she's on the board of a, a company that does AI contracting for the Pentagon. David Petraeus, who's on the board of several defense contractors. You know there, there's there's a series of others. It's gotten to the point where the only place where you like 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 General Jack Keen is another one. Mark Esper, the former defense secretary, he's another former Raytheon person. Uh, Jack Keen is the guy who makes Humvees. There's just a lot of these people. Megan O'Sullivan is a Raytheon board member. She did a a story in the Washington Post earlier this year, uh, where the headline the headline was. Uh, it's wrong to pull troops out of Afghanistan, but we can minimize the damage. Uh, And when you look down at the bio, it just said Megan O'Sullivan is a professor at the Harvard Kennedy School. Uh, She was deputy deputy national security advisor for Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, It wasn't until she took some flack from some like indie reporters that they put in the fact that she's on the board of directors at Raytheon Technologies. So this is this is a thing that's like buried in news coverage right. everywhere. Like you know, Megan Sullivan was quoted repeatedly by the New York Times in the last couple of weeks. They didn't they didn't bring up the Raytheon thing. It's just something to 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 watch for because a lot of these people they're not all Democrats, but there's there's a lot of these people who are kind of in the news lately and and they're hiding what their what right. their real uh, you know affiliations are
1: yeah it's really disgusting i mean it's a joke it's just such a uh lack of transparency you know it's something that i think democrats like to pretend republicans do when it's obviously incredibly bipartisan
0: so so it's an open question like does the does the washington post when they do stuff like this because they've they've gotten in trouble for a couple of these things uh in recent years do they know you know, when when they're doing yeah, they when they're doing, to, they? yeah, I think I think you idiot? have to. Are they
1: dumb, or disingenuous? That's it comes down to D and D, D or D.
0: Yeah, I, D D. I think you have to know. I, I mean, know. if you don't know that somebody has moved on to a seven figure salary at you know a defense contractor and that that's now what their job is, because you know if you if you look at the financial newspapers, even the financial newspapers are never so shameless as to say like, oh, this person is pumping up a stock. You know doesn't work for a hedge fund right. that's invested in that stock you know what i mean like they would never do that but you do get no. that in this kind of stuff which is um which is kind of amazing so but there's of another
1: conflict of interest by the way so what's he's, that not only is he so he rejoined after leaving office he rejoined because he worked for uh obama and trump he was chosen as the designated survivor and would have become the next president if a disaster attack had occurred what's that
0: Designated survivor? Is there, is there like a new chain like a work- of command?
1: That is so weird. I don't know what that is. But after leaving office in January 2017, he rejo- rejoined his, the law firm, Paul Weiss. Paul Weiss. Rifkin, Weiss. Yeah, he was yeah, a Paul big. Paul Weiss. Oh, that's Paul Weiss. I didn't realize there were all those other names Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison. He's also uh, a member of the Boards of Directors of Lockheed Martin, U.S. Steel, the Council of Foreign Relations, uh, the Center for New American Security, WBGO, and a trustee of uh, Columbia University, but also he's on the board of the National September 11th Memorial and Museum. And do you know when his birthday is? September 11th?
0: Yeah. Very nice. So that's another
1: nice. thing that we have to make sure that we expose. I mean,
0: what is there anything that's more disgusting than somebody who is who sits in the spot for doling out billions of contracting dollars and then immediately goes and feeds the, at the trough of those same companies? Yeah. Like, there's,
1: yes, there's one thing that's more disgusting, which is doing that without it having it revealed, right? When you are a uh, media expert
0: exactly exactly so disgusting
1: it we is gotta gross. do it how come well, it's on us we need to have like how can we make it we need to come up with songs or mnemonic devices so everyone knows that these people work or are on the boards of these these places
0: yeah or they should have label. i mean this is an old joke but it's, you know they should have labels like race car drivers you know yeah, it's an right. stp on your thing it should stay KBR or whatever, whatever right. whatever it is. Right. 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 Bechtel. Right. Because it's, it's ridiculous. And it, I, again, I think it's, it's so shameful that the financial, the notoriously ethicsless financial press
1: is better on is this.
0: way ahead, right. way ahead of the political well, press when it comes they, to this stuff.
1: Yeah. In a way that makes sense though. Cause they're so like, br- they're so, they don't have any kind of pretenses. Right. In some ways. I mean, I don't want to over, I'm being a little bit sloppy here, but there's something to the lack of pseudo morality.
0: It's frustrating because they they first started, if you remember an outlet that you write for, Fair, they made a ton of noise about this way back in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003. In the run up to both Afghanistan and Iraq, they were constantly pointing out that like affiliations of cable guests were often not closed, right and so the, the you know the conventional presses had plenty of time to oh of course right you know, to
1: respond to correct oh, no, to, yeah, yeah, to correct yeah. this
0: issue and they yeah. never do they never yeah, they, they never, never do yeah. I mean
1: I remember you know good friend of the show Sydney Ember she she had a lot of people as I wrote about for fair actually she had a lot of people in who she would cite without um you know providing the the relevant information one she did update one of them which was that she had interviewed someone and and forgot to say about Bernie Sanders, who like said he was a straight old white man, um, forgot to say that she was on the ready for Hillary super PAC, you know, slightly relevant. Anyone who, who thinks that the New York times is above that kind of stuff is sorely mistaken. Again, we got to have a D or D, DOD of the week, dumb or disingenuous where we are like, like, disingenuous.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no. no and the, uh, you know, Peter Baker, who's kind of like resident Hawk uh, freaking out hawk uh, reporter for the New York Times who yeah. can't wait to tell you what a mistake it was to move all the troops out of Afghanistan this this quickly. Like, you know, he's he's a serial offender on the score too. So, you know, the, yeah. it's, and, and, and this is the kind of stuff, again, I, I, I hate to keep going back here, but if you want to talk about why the public doesn't trust the news media about things that matter, like getting vaccinated or whatever, whatever it is. Every time they do one of these little things that is just unnecessary, it, what, it just adds.
1: Oh, so, every time they do something like they, they do something that where they don't reveal a conflict of interest, a potential conflict yeah, of interest. Yeah,
0: like when they every time they and do they something that's up. dishonest or right. it looks like a chilling for yeah. you know the government or whatever right. it is. You know, we saw we saw what happened with the drone bomb story. Which was so classic because this has been going on uh, over and over again, you know, for the last twenty years. The Defense Department put out this very uh, sneakily worded statement afterwards, where it said something like, "We're not aware of any civilian casualties." That immediately became, you know, no civilian, no no civilian right. casualties were reported in in the press, and of course you know, within, within a day or two, the, the uh, New York Times reporter did his job and he went and he hunted down the people who, uh, who got killed, you know, it was, it was like a nor- normal family that, that, you know, there was a guy who was driving up to his house in his Toyota Corolla and and his kids ran out to come see him. And the Corolla gets blown up by a hellfire missile or whatever it is. And everybody dies. And, you know, that that's the story. But of course we run, we run with the you know the the bullshit dod version first you know you'd think we'd learn our lesson by now since we since they've lied so so repeatedly about all this stuff anyway just a thought so what what do we have for republican suck
1: so yeah republican suck we got uh i couldn't i you know it's like choosing between your children uh it's hard to have favorites so i had two favorites that didn't really work that metaphor anyway uh two stories get coming out from guess what state if it's bad republican news i feel like florida texas you got it Mm -hmm. yeah texas okay so there are two stories about coming out of texas one do you want to go with the abortion one first or do you want to go with the voting one first which one do you want to start with
0: let's go for abortion
1: all right let's go for abortion because they're certainly not so texas enacts near total ban on abortions the most draconian anti-choice law in the country i'm reading it democracy now in Texas a near total ban on abortions went into effect today at midnight after the U.S. Supreme Court failed to rule on an emergency petition filed by abortion providers seeking to block the measure so this law bars abortions just six weeks into a pregnancy and that by the way is before people will sometimes know that they're pregnant no exceptions for rape or incest and this is like this probably one of the worst parts of it anyone in Texas can sue Patients, medical workers, or even a patient's family or friends who quote unquote aid and abet an abortion. Um, and yeah, uh, which again, it's not a crime. So it's kind of weird because how can you aid and abet something? That's not a crime, but I guess it is now and, uh, until now, no other six week abortion ban has been allowed to go into effect. Yeah. It's really awful. I don't know what's going to happen next. I think that they're, they're going to uh, people say reproductive justice advocates have vowed to keep fighting.
0: Isn't that unconstitutional? Like, I, I would, I would think that there would be a legal challenge that would be instantaneous. Yeah, there must, that.
1: right? Because it fact, I mean, it's basically undoing Roe v. Wade.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's an end run around it for sure. Yeah. All yeah. right. So what's, the, what's the other one?
1: Okay, so then we also have in the same lovely state, um we have texas um the republican-controlled texas legislature passes bill overhauling the state's elections and here's some of the the things that it does it's it's really great uh one of like the the most draconian things happens it aims at harris county in particular which is like a growing democratic hub uh and includes houston and here's some of the things that uh it forbids ready balloting Mm -hmm. methods that the county introduced Uh, last year to make voting easier during the pandemic, including drive-through polling places and 24-hour voting, as well as temporary voting locations. It bars election officials from sending voters unsolicited absentee ballot applications and from promoting the use of vote by mail. And apparently, I'm reading at the Times, it greatly empowers partisan poll watchers, creates new criminal and civil penalties for poll workers, and erects new barriers for those looking to help voters who need assistance. Such as with translations. Uh, And it requires large Texas counties where Democrats perform better to provide live streaming video at ballot counting locations. Wow. So, I mean, I don't know what's going to be easier to do moving forward have an abortion or vote. But I suggest that while you can do both, while you're waiting online, try to get an abortion while you're waiting waiting to vote. I wonder
0: how often, I mean, that's probably not something that people do to get simultaneously a whole lot.
1: No, but you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So
0: that's true. That's true. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Those are, those are pretty bad.
1: Or at least do them back to back. Right. While you still can. Although I guess you can't already. Well, you really want to act fast fam act fast.
0: Yeah, definitely. Five weeks.
1: Five yeah. Don't even wait till the fifth, try to do in the fourth. I mean, I'm being somewhat facetious because obviously people may not even know but yeah eventually you're only gonna have to you're only gonna be
0: able to vote in your first trimester or something like that
1: first trimester if only right that would make it easier they might as well link those two things the right to vote and the right to abort right you don't want to have to to keep track of those two dates it gets confusing
0: it does get confusing yeah so well that's that's definitely abort
1: early and often and vote early and often
0: what's your take on i don't know i guess we talked about this a little bit on on one day but the republicans have been kind of schizoid on the whole afghanistan thing like they can't they can't seem to decide whether they're they want to take credit for the withdrawal or the, whether they want right. to whether they want they to go back baby in baby
1: with the bathwater.
0: yeah first analogy that's right through No. let's not even go there to the no, jokes that are there. possible in that one right so yeah, I know. yeah.
1: but it's really terrible in case uh, my my being glib about it confuses anyone that's really bad and i hate abbott
0: he's not good
1: He's not good. I think he and Ron DeSantis should be on a desert island together. Hmm. With I,
0: a I hate to, I have to say, I, I hate kids. DeSantis a little less.
1: Yeah, maybe he is a shit-eating grin, Abbott.
0: It it is. It, it's he just this is terrible. It's not that I like him. I just think yeah. that some some of the press about him has been a little a well, little bit. What is he
1: doing now? They're like punishing schools that have mask mandates.
0: Yeah, no, that's fucked up. Well, so, yeah. and and this this is an issue that's starting to drive me nuts because 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 it, it gets to the schizophrenia of frankly both parties about the exercise of government authority. Like, so the people who are states' rights people, you know, theoretically they're federalists, right? And they they loathe federal executive power. They're they're really really not into uh, the idea of you know the kind of the the libs in washington telling them what to do blah blah right. blah and then all of a sudden when a, when there's a a state level executive who issues a decree that's kind of dic- you know dictatorial and counties or towns want regional control suddenly they're against that because they're not they're not in favor of that kind of federalist model right, right. i mean that's not really federalism but it's You know, it's the same kind of idea like the you know we we want more localized democracy when it's at the state level, but we want less of it. When we when we have a governor who's who's issuing these decrees. And frankly, there's flip flopping that goes on with the Democrats on that kind of thinking, too. There, there are people who are you know completely against any state rights states rights arguments until suddenly there's you know a state by state effort to you know, start changing, for instance, marijuana laws or something Correct. like that, right. But the Although Republicans are worse think about that this. Giving
1: stuff. people freedoms like to be to be fair. Giving people freedom state to state is different. I feel like there's some consistency when you're doing state by state health care because it's like they want it to be federal, but it can't be. So it's still not their, their choice. It's not their like, uh, lawmaking of choice. You know, I'm not someone who usually really goes out of my way to defend Democrats as consistent. I do think in this case though, that there's more hypocrisy on the other side.
0: There is, but there's some, there is, there, there is definitely some on the other side. Like I've always been kind of in favor of like when it comes to drug laws, for instance, that states should have, that should be a state by state thing. Like states should be able to allow; they should be allowed to vote to decriminalize right. drugs. Uh, right. And if you if you are going to allow that, then it's pretty hard to argue that some other things that Republicans want, you know, as as states rights issues.
1: But in should- this case, it's like there's a federal right, like abortion is protected federally. It's like chipping away at rights versus. Creating more rights. There's something different directionally. Like.
0: Yeah, I'm not so sure.
1: All right, we'll have to get some yeah, we'll philosophers left to, left to and law professors. Yeah, we'll left have Samuel uh, Moyne and exactly. Talking. Yeah, we've yeah. got to have Mons talk about his book Humane, which is yeah. totally on topic. It's about how Obama made war more sustainable.
0: Right. Okay. So four. Isn't that weird? This is a good one and this this is this is thanks to you it says raw this is a new york oh, post this story like this one i think matt could you just show the video on this
1: this is so disgusting okay so what do we got here we got a what are these things called then okay. what
0: the cluck? see the, again the clock, yeah uh, the, what got are the these things called the i can't
1: remember what these things are called baggage carousel we got a baggage mm-hmm. carousel so uh, try not to lo- try not losing your lunch. It says. And after seeing this on the baggage car- claim carousel, and it's how would you describe it?
0: It's a literally it's a big square piece of chicken parts.
1: Yeah, it's a bunch of chicken parts that fell that are in a square that I get that must have fallen out of a container.
0: Ew! Luggage filled with raw chicken spilled onto the baggage claim carousel at Seattle Tacoma. Uh, international airport aka Tech, adding to the stomach turning sight the dozen or so chickens had formed into frozen cube into a frozen cube inside the cooler uh, during the flight so I, I grew up reading these uh, books by the Wallachinsky family ever heard of them
1: Mm-mm. who are they they
0: wrote these they're Canadians I think and oh. they they wrote these books called the book the book of lists uh, they also wrote the people's almanac
1: okay cool remember that book uh it sounds progressive but i don't
0: know if i do remember <laughs> no it's not it's not, no, it's, not. it's just it's full of like, like random.
1: history
0: yeah it's like full oh, of just random it. information yeah uh and they they always had a feature in in one of them like 10 things that fell from the sky uh so ah. this this isn't from the book of lists but it's it's like sort of the same idea of like stuff that comes out of an airplane uh so here here's one list poultry fell over virginia last year then uh there was fish fell over the remote Australian town of Lajamanu in 2010. Oh, so these like
1: literally just dropped from th- this wasn't about a conveyor uh- it wasn't about
0: a conveyor belt it's just stuff that came off an airplane and fell onto the into into the world, right? right. Uh so we've had blood fall out mm-hmm. of uh, planes, uh, frogs, although that's more more likely a, a natural phenomenon, frogs and tadpoles i
1: think i forgot about tadpoles sharks
0: have fallen from the sky that is the worst
1: were the sharks alive or dead
0: uh no i think they were alive but spiders mud um and of course biblical frozen urine is another thing that happens because when um you know you're you're in a plane they're they're you're in. The, you're in. Yeah, you're. You're. You're the, in
1: a plane.
0: You're in a. You're in a plane. Yeah, exactly. And the waste comes out, but it freezes on the way down, so it like you know, which is like really gross. Um, so yeah, so planes like
1: stalagmites or stalactites of piss.
0: Yeah, there's like gross stuff that comes out of planes, but this is a pretty good like a a, a cube of defrosting chicken is pretty bad. Right. Yeah.
1: I wonder uh, how long it was out there. Like it's almost like is that like a grid like a grill. If you have something on a conveyor belt, like how long would it have to be on the conveyor belt before it's a nice temperature?
0: Probably a while. It would have to be a different kind of conveyor belt, too. When I was
1: younger, by the way, I thought that conveyor belts went all the way from one place to the other, like instead of on the plane. (laughs) So I thought like if you flew from, you know, to Hawaii, the conveyor belt went all the way to Hawaii.
0: You really thought that?
1: Yeah. Wow. I'm really not that good at stuff like that. I mean, I was a little kid. Right. I also thought it took a really long time to develop camera footage because my parents would take forever to remember to bring it in and pick Mm. it up. So I thought it was like a multi-year process.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: And for kids watching the show, that's when there used to actually be film and you get it developed.
0: Yeah, they don't know what that is.
1: Yeah, they don't know what that is. yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So what do we have for Isn't That Terrible?
1: Okay. So for Isn't That Terrible and, you know, it's... This is a hard one to talk about. I think, honestly, I shouldn't even set it up. I think we should just go to the, to the video.
3: RCMP have released a new photo of a man who took an anti-mask protest a step too far. He was refused service at the Dairy Queen in Port Alberni and so began urinating on the front counter of the restaurant. CTV's Gord Curbis has the latest on the incident that has made headlines around the world. <laughs> It's the anti-mask statement that is focusing an unfortunate spotlight on the city of Port Alberni. Not much you can do about stupidity.
2: Because I've worked a lot of retail jobs so it's like I've seen a lot of stupid, crazy stuff that people do.
3: A man who entered this Dairy Queen on Saturday night was refused service because he wouldn't wear a mask. He took out his frustrations and began urinating on the counter.
2: What? Oh my God. No, I didn't hear about that. I don't think it's that difficult to wear a mask
1: you do not have a brain so here he is so can we pause this for a second uh wilson so so just so this is a guy he's he's at the derek queen he's saying you do not have a brain and a very thick canadian accent and the staff says we can't sell you without a mask and he goes why okay keep complying please
3: Graham Hughes posted the man's antics after his roommate caught them on video. And she says,
1: it's not a BC policy. So, he's saying it's not a BC policy, British Columbia. It's a, you have to you have to protect the uh, exemptions. Okay.
5: And it's taking place in our community, the polarization of opinions and the entitlement, I guess,
3: in a sense of reaction.
0: The
3: DQP incident is now getting international attention. We ended up in Newsweek. Um, it ended up with Huffington Post Canada and the American Version wow. of it. Although he doesn't support the Malik <laughs> personal protest, Hughes wants the public to consider what the man may be going through in his personal life. People who
5: often make these kind of stories of their extreme behavior. Do have experiences of mental health issues. They do have, you know, substance use issues, or they have, like, you know, they live in a paranoid state.
3: CTV reached out to Dairy Queen for a comment, but is yet to receive a reply. Meanwhile, RCMP have released a photograph of the man they're looking for. It's not something that happens very often, and it was a pretty dramatic statement by this individual. And of course, it's still a hooten as we're still trying to track him down. Police say charges may vary, but at this point, they are undertaking an investigation of it being an indecent act. Gord Kurpis, CTV News, Port Alberni
1: so i mean i'm really tired of this victimhood thing put on a fucking mask i'm sorry
0: or don't urinate
1: well well obvi- okay then we didn't even get to the urination thing but that is like really disgusting uh this guy's a dick no pun i really wasn't he just is like you're such a baby you're such a baby you have yeah. to piss in front of people on their fucking counter sorry this is i mean it's just and I really do. I am tired I mean, of it.
0: He, he, could, he could be mentally ill. Okay, it's if
1: possible. he's mentally ill, he gets a pass. And I love how Canadians are so sensitive. The guy's like, oh, yeah, he's going through stuff. He could be going through mental challenges. And, That's a know. good
0: Canadian accent.
1: Oh, thank you. Thanks. There are a couple of different ones.
0: Who's your favorite, who's your favorite hockey player?
1: I think uh, John Candy.
0: <laughs> John Candy. Oh, oh,
1: sorry. Just Canadian actor, <laughs> not Hollywood hockey player. Wayne Gretzky?
0: Wayne Gretzky. Okay. He's
1: Canadian. He is he's Canadian. Like the, yeah. Literally, I don't think I know of a single other hockey player, though. So.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. You were, that that was a good guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Who's yours?
0: What? Uh, probably Bobby Orr. I'm from Boston, but but oh, right. uh, another another Canadian.
1: Yeah. Oh, he's on a Boston team, though.
0: Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: So I thought uh, you. I definitely thought you were going to ask me, and I feel like I can't believe you didn't like how much money I would need to eat that chicken. By the way, sorry, I'm going back to the. Isn't that oh weird?
0: yeah how much money would you need to eat that chicken
1: i don't know but now i want to know how much money would you need to eat i guess it actually doesn't matter at all if there's a barrier a dairy queen like a frosty that the man had urinated near
0: how much would i need to eat at that at that dairy queen
1: Mm -hmm. actually i'm not gonna lie i would just pay normal for it i would just pay for it
0: yeah exactly i think i would too
1: there's a you know i mean it would be different if there was like an opening right there wasn't that divider
0: right yeah exactly exactly but
1: that's like an that's like a combo of exposing yourself vandalism mask stuff what's his exemption also
0: i don't know he's vaccinated i don't know
1: i mean i get it masks are really unpleasant to wear but i definitely wear them
0: I wear them too. Yeah. I mean, and and especially now with with the numbers going back up, I'm kind of basically going to go go back into lockdown soon. But the, the, the there there is something about like the edge that people are starting to bring to these disagreements that's right. that's gotten a little weird. Like people are yeah. hyper emotional about. Yeah, it.
1: these are Canadians we're talking about.
0: Right. Yeah, that's how exactly. I mean.
1: We're talking about like BC, this is like B, British Columbia Canadians. Not yeah. even like, not Quebecois who are always crazy.
0: Yeah, you can like, uh, you can like go to a table full of Canadians and just start whacking them with cattle prods and they'll, they'll, they'll apologize to you.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's right? how far we've come.
0: Yeah. And now even they're acting like getting belligerent.
1: Getting belligerent. Yeah.
0: We have to keep Canadians the way they were.
1: We have to keep them out of this country.
0: Well, that's true. I thought you were
1: going to say, except for Aaron Mate.
0: Except for Well, no, I, I,
1: david I mean, Frum. It, i want to throw him back out there
0: there's been a lot of really good canadian comedians who've come down here i it's think true. You we'll know. let them
1: say so yeah. who are the top five canadians we want to get send back david Frum.
0: david david from is a good one all the ones that i'm thinking are the are, are ones that i like
1: i know maybe this is maybe we're more pro i mean i've i've I actually i'm pretty pro canada i think pro-Canada. i'm, I'm pro can oh my thing with canada is that they don't get enough credit for being racist
0: right you mentioned that
1: that bothers me. They're terrible. Just I could United that. States doesn't mean. Don't get a big head, Canada.
0: No, if, if Canadians are turning, are turning like, turning bad like zombies and 28 days later, like that's, that means the disease yeah. has progressed too far.
1: Plus they have healthcare, so that guy should really be taken care of.
0: Probably there's places to pee in Canada too that, you know, aren't counters of fast food places. Right.
1: And if you're going to do that, at least be masked. Have yes. one thing out, expose one part at a time. Have the decency. I mean, you don't have the decency. I didn't even think of that pun, but yeah.
0: Yes, I'll co sign that too. Okay, that was the four fruit groups. We have a, uh, a really interesting guest, Katie. Do you want to tell our listeners?
1: Really excited to be talking to uh, Spencer Ackerman. Spencer Ackerman, uh, he's the author of a new book called Reign of Terror, How the 9-11 Era Destabilized America and Produced Trump. He also has a really cool uh, Substack called foreverwars.substack.com. He focuses on the war on terror and he's been a national security correspondent for outlets like the New Republic, Wired, the Guardian, and currently the Daily Beast. He's reported from the front lines of Afghanistan and Iraq and Guantanamo Bay. He shared in the 2014 Pulitzer Prize for public service journalism for Edward Snowden's NSA leaks to the Guardian. A series of stories that also yielded him other awards, including the Scripps Howard Foundations, uh, 2014 Roy W. Howard Award for Public Service Reporting, and the 2013 IRE Medal for Investigative Reporting. Um, Ackerman's Wired series on Islamophobic counterterrorism training at the FBI won the 2012 Online National Magazine Award for Reporting. He frequently appears on MSNBC, CNN, and other news networks has an impressive mustache at the moment and i actually i happen to know him from way back guess from where guess where i know him from dalton no
0: socialist summer camp
1: yeah
0: Ooh. yeah okay all right
1: and uh so i have some interesting stories i'm going to share but yeah
0: very good all right well let's talk to spencer and get some embarrassing uh, insider details
1: Spencer, welcome to the show. Can you tell people what the thesis, for those who haven't read it, what the thesis of your book is?
5: Yes, so um, the book is about uh, a- Reign of Terror, by the way.
1: Reign of Terror, yeah. How, I mean, the thesis is in the title, but you know, just to uh, expand on it a little bit.
5: Sure, so the thesis of Reign of Terror, uh, how 9-11 destabilized America and produced Trump. The 9-11 era, the response America chooses, in response to the 9-11 attacks, uh, is a doorway to the most violent, most nativist, um, and the most dangerous currents in American history that uh, are unleashed and given new license after 9-11 to take power and to do so under an atmosphere of righteous patriotic vengeance. I call it the subtext um, or the engine Of the war on terror. Um, Once political elites decide after 9-11 to divorce an interpretation of what prompted the attack from any of the historical and material circumstances that bin Laden outlines uh, in his various communiques before the attack, um, what remains is a civilizational and metaphysical interpretation of what happened on 9-11, which is to say that, as Bush puts it, evildoers from uh, marauding foreign civilization are truly the ones that are responsible uh, for this act, not 19 people and the billionaire that they answered to. Accordingly, that filters the direction um, of America's war on terror uh, down particular paths, all of which favor authoritarian uh, opportunities Uh, the erosion and outright in some cases, destruction of constitutional freedoms, the things that are supposed to sort of institutionally safeguard uh, both your freedom and your safety become just decimated uh, by explicit act of the war on terror. So for instance, uh, surveillance, uh, suspicionless surveillance on a scale that would have been unthinkable as well technologically impossible a generation before um, becomes over time, not just a persistent force in American national security, but symbiotic with the 21st century capitalist economy, uh, what Shoshana Zuboff of uh, Harvard Business School calls surveillance capitalism. The NSA at this point just piggybacks off of that for a lot of its operations. That's an outgrowth of the war on terror. The steady erosion of the rule of law through processes like that, that render the Fourth Amendment quaint, uh, the ability to once uh, defining an ever-shifting enemy in civilizational terms, not, not only can you invade and bomb and occupy a tremendous number of countries overseas, but also you can use that same justifications against your Muslim neighbors and do things that are unthinkable in other in. Things that are unthinkable in white communities, in Christian communities, like uh, creating a network of 10,000, it was estimated in 2010, informants to do things like invade and spy on uh, places of worship. The FBI teaches its counterterrorism uh, agents um, at one point in the war on terror in a series of stories that I did for Wired that uh, Islam itself is the enemy rather than Al Qaeda or any other specific terror group things like that, just compound and compound and compound. And eventually they mix with another very volatile element, which is that the wars themselves in Iraq and Afghanistan and elsewhere are disasters. They don't deliver um, the kind of dopamine hit for American exceptionalism that they promise after 9-11. They deliver only agony, they deliver only misery. And over time, uh, this creates a real cognitive dissonance in a lot of the people, particularly um, on the right, whose like real anger and trauma over 9-11 uh, is cultivated by their political leaders into this civilizational context. And they start asking things like, why can't the elites that launch these wars bring them to successful conclusions? And they start rejecting the euphemisms of the whole enterprise, like calling it a war on terror, saying that an Islamic uh, cultural center near, in an Islamic cultural center in lower Manhattan is a ground zero mosque. Right. Like it was Mehmet the Conqueror turning Hagia Sophia in Constantinople uh, into a mosque. Those explanations uh, become increasingly uh, desirous, uh, especially after, Uh, ISIS happens. ISIS, which would, of course, not exist if not for the invasion and occupation of Iraq, to the point where its refugee flows, people trying to escape ISIS, are treated in the United States as an adjunct of ISIS, no different than ISIS. We're seeing that right now in how uh, the Trumpist elements of the right are reacting to the withdrawal from Afghanistan and treating people in this case who served the United States' war interests as being indistinct from the Taliban. This was a slow process from both um, institutional, political and uh, cultural lines uh, that basically create such an atmosphere of authoritarian possibility, uh, nativist opportunity and um, repressive potential that it makes someone like a Trump figure feel in retrospect inevitable, like he's a lagging indicator of the 9-11 era Even when he uses very cannily uh, rhetoric that suggests he wants to depart from it.
1: Yeah, you 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 mentioned how he talks about stupid wars, but actually, you know, like civilian killings went up. I think you you cite a study that says three hundred and thirty percent because of his of his role in Afghanistan and of course Somalia.
0: Yeah, you talked in the book about how. I forget the exact wording, but it was essentially, the tr- Trump was one of the only candidates who had the insight that the subtext of all these wars was actually this civilizational racist uh, idea about sort of non-white contagion, uh, and that he he made that more overt in in the way he talked uh, about these wars. But he he also took advantage as of of the other thing that you just mentioned, which was that the wars were failures. Like on, on in his stump speeches, you know, he talked about the stupid wars. He talked about forever wars. I remember him scanning crowds and looking for vets, you know, in in the crowds, and you know, adjusting his speeches accordingly to talk about the mistreatment of soldiers and that sort of thing. But the premise of the book essentially is that the United States security apparatus and the way they handled. Their response to 9/11 created the political conditions for somebody like Trump to take advantage. Uh, is is that sort of the idea?
5: Yeah, and the elites in both parties, they uh, right. both uh, are the architects and the custodians of these wars, particularly as they become like increasing disasters. And it will be those elites who, by 2015, 2016, are like, "Oh my God, where did this guy come from? Like, how could it be?" Um, after you know. Take someone like Michael Hayden, who's one of my favorite examples here. Yeah, Michael- you have a lot
0: of great stuff in him, about, in there about him, by the way.
5: Yeah. yeah, so like Mike Hayden is the architect of bulk surveillance in the United States, just straight up a constitutional vandal, decides on his own in secret to reset the balance for everyone else. Um, of liberty and security. Then goes on really an amazing career to run the CIA and preside over the terminal stages of the uh, black site um, uh, torture, torture programs. Yeah, A guy who lies so relentlessly that there is in the 2014 Senate torture report, a separate annex devoted just to debunking all of the lies that Hayden tells the Senate, his Senate overseers in one day of testimony. It's an entire appendix of lies. You've never seen anything like this in a government report about an intelligence official or anyone with like uh, uh, birds or stars on their shoulders. Um, And it's Hayden who like throughout the Trump years, not only becomes a hashtag resistance hero, but gives speeches and writes books about like the assault on truth and how, yeah. like he says this in an MIT speech, like he's worried that the bonds of uh, veracity no longer constrain our public discourse and no longer order our minds. And accordingly, how can a free, you know, republic persist? And it's just like, hmm, and like think- that's, a, that's the interesting question. Like who might it better be aimed at? So you get these circumstances where uh, the people who are most against Trump are the people who have seeded the ground for him and kind of want to return to like the status quo ante, like two steps back uh, from Trump, not recognizing that they are generating like more and more Trumps. And that like, just as a, like a matter of political faction, like You're the guy the bear is going to eat first because you're closest. And I think like that's the story, a lot of the contemporary Republican party.
0: How big of a political mistake do you think it was to I mean, look, Michael Hayden's a he's a paid analyst on CNN. As you know, as are half of the people profiled in in your book as, as being the most catastrophic decision makers throughout this time period. We saw the whole bunch of them revived in the last couple of weeks uh, people who had direct responsibility for a lot of the things that went wrong in Afghanistan. And yet they're still upheld as, as trusted, revered authorities by the kind of Washington press consensus. Doesn't that only help a Trump, you know, that, that, that he can point and say, you know, look at those people. Like they, uh, you know, the, these are the elites who've been lying to you and, they, and, and, and they're still on TV and doing all that stuff.
5: Yeah, we saw it happen the first time that Trump ran for president. He, he, like the people who were most fervently against Trump had, without recognizing it, maneuvered themselves into like such a disadvantageous position by virtue of what they had done over the previous 15 years, that Trump can always point to that and say that you never need to listen to these people again because they have walked you into a disaster that only I can fix, that only through the application of unapologetic civilizational violence uh, can we redeem something um, from 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 this nightmare and like we'll occasionally use, you know, like he used to talk about like 22 daily veteran suicides as a way of wrapping himself um, in the flag and uh, trying to, you know, maneuver war on terror politics um, in a direction where he could more successfully wield them than a lot of his um, political opposition. And also remember that like his most important security validator is uh, Michael Flynn, who more than nearly anyone on earth can personally say that he waged the war on terror like at its most like grim and violent. You know, Flynn takes away from that service two really like central points that fit perfectly inside the both Trumpist narrative and the coalition that they're, that they're building in the agenda that it's going to serve, which is that first the enemy is Islam. And second, the enemy is also the people within the security state that don't allow me to say and act like the enemy is Islam. The people who would restrain me in my uh, violent and carceral action on the basis of some pathetic, decadent fantasy that you can have a more antiseptic war, um, a war that like now needs to respect the people that it in fact is aimed against. Flynn like is in this kind of crisis of American exceptionalism that occurs when he's pinioned between the wars that he's fought that are supposed to be these you know, valorous reassertions of American power determining how the world will once again work in America's favor, and the realities of how nightmarish and disastrous and wasteful, all of it in fact you know, turns out to be. And then of course, when Flynn is the subject of uh, the Mueller investigation, that becomes this perfect opportunity to use like the rampant criminality and corruption of the Trump clique um, as a way of saying those same people who are persecuting Mike Flynn are the same people that have gotten us into this wretched circumstance. And by the persecution of Mike Flynn and through him, Donald Trump, this witch hunt that is happening is ultimately a way of performing a coup against the 2016 election, and all of that tacitly justifies as Mike Flynn will do the day before the Capitol insurrection, trying to launch a coup to overturn the 2020 election. And I would just suggest as I do, um, as is kind of a theme of the book, that the longer this war on terror circumstance goes on, the more and more it's going to be indistinguishable from domestic American politics and the more the tools of the war on terror are going to be used against Americans, whether it was what we saw in the summer of 2020, where the Department of Homeland Security is putting uh, protesters in Portland into unmarked vans, uh, launching surveillance by drone over 15 cities, using the joint terrorism task forces against uh, anti-fascist protesters and so on. And now, January 6th, where the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress aren't really interested in challenging the political figures that called and spread uh, the lie about the 2020 election being stolen and prompted and directed January 6th. Instead, they're using only a security approach, uh, prosecuting low level people who like committed acts of violence or at least acts of criminality that were already illegal in the insurrection but having no other answer than to kind of throttle how far they want to reorient the mechanisms of, of war on terror, law enforcement and surveillance against this, which, of course, reaffirms the narrative of the extreme right. Yeah, I mean,
0: that, I, I was yeah, going to say that. Yes, I mean, I, I get I get that, that there's there's a need to adequately prosecute all that, but the expanding. Uh, you know, and creating a, a domestic war on terror, which is the language that's being used, right? It it, it just continues this twenty-year process of blurring the lines between, you know, an essentially lawless uh, surveillance state that we've been aimed—that's been aimed both abroad and at home, and you know, the 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 kind of undeclared wars that we've we've been uh, you know conducting all around the all around the globe. To conservatives, what it, what it looks like is we're, we're just we're just doing this at home now. We're going to have warrantless surveillance of everybody, and obviously there's a real threat there. But they do have a little bit of a point, don't they? That 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 we're treating this almost like you know a domestic version of the war on terror, aren't,
5: aren't we? No, that's what I'm saying. That yeah, now that the Biden administration like views as both normal and responsible to filter the res- his response to January 6th along uh, law enforcement intelligence, you know, general security line. We should have realized, we should have learned like a central lesson of the war on terror, which is that securitizing responses to political challenges is a disaster foretold, and it only makes people less safe and less free and more vengeful. And add to that tinderbox... The fact that the tools of the war on terror are not getting are not getting broken. Trump certainly didn't break any of them. He wanted to wield them. Biden isn't breaking any of them right now, despite pulling out from Afghanistan, which I believe is obviously the right thing to do. And so once this dynamic entrenches itself further, war on terror responses to your domestic political opponents will become more and more normalized. And consider what that might mean. First, like we know from one of the, this is one of the reasons like I I start my book in Oklahoma City and not with 9-11, like the the actual track record of the law enforcement and intelligence agencies prosecuting, you know, white terror is very, very bad. Um, More typically, they use the mechanisms and the powers allowed uh, to them, supposedly for purposes like that, against left-wingers and non-white people. We should expect to see that because we already saw that in the summer of 2020, but beyond that, thanks to the Obama administration, a future right-wing presidency, or even the Biden administration currently, who knows, but has opinions of the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel that say, if you consider someone, even an American citizen, deeply dangerous, and like one of the law enforcement or intelligence agencies says it's too dangerous or impractical to apprehend them. You can just execute them without trial. That's what happened to someone named Anwar yeah. um, mm-hmm. and ultimately Samir Khan and Awaki's um, son Rachman, who was only 16 years old. That is, I think, like a really serious Chekhov's gun. Like, we should not think that as long as these mechanisms and quasi legal but truly illegal, uh, nevertheless institutionalized rationales and an apparatus of justification for this persist. That that's, going to be the, that's not going to be the last drone strike against an American citizen. And if that prospect frightens you, um, as I think it ought to, then that becomes an argument, even if all the other arguments fail, um, the solidaristic arguments for why you know we have to stop a war that's now killed 900,000 people, immiserated so many uh, displaced, at least twenty-two million people, looted eight trillion dollars, according to a study that came out by the Cost of War Project at Brown University. That day we're recording this. Even if none of that is compelling to you, the prospect of a drone killing someone that you know, perhaps you ought to consider that as like an urgent argument for abolition of this entire enterprise.
0: Yeah, I I, I covered a couple of years ago a court case. It was a lawsuit by an American citizen named. Bilal Abdul Karim, uh, who sued the United States government because he believed that he had been um, the target of a, a series of drone strikes. He was a cameraman He's a, uh, who has some jihadist leanings, but whatever, that's not the point. He, he, yeah, he, he sued and the, the United States government in, in a courtroom was arguing that it had the right to, to use uh, lethal force without trial. And there were no other reporters in the courtroom, and I and I remember thinking to myself, this is a, this is kind of a big deal uh, for for the federal government to be openly saying that, the, uh, asserting that it has the right to do this. And you know, why does nobody care? Because I'm, I, I imagine the public does care on some level, right? I mean, or they would if they knew. Or they, if they knew? And I, and I, or 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 is that not true? Did they not care? I mean, that's that's an interesting.
1: This was under Trump or Obama. Sorry.
0: This was under Trump, but okay, but yeah. but the 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 act happened under Obama. But the, the point is, I think a lot of what you're talking about about these the tools of the war on terror the, the, over the course of the last fifteen to twenty years, there's been a lot of suspicion that's been generated on both the left and the right towards the government because they've they've done a lot of this sort of unilateral extra legal things that people don't like and, and 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 frighten people.
5: And encased in an apparatus of lies to right. both justify it, claim that it's not as bad as it was, and hide the truth from the public about it. Um, beyond the apparatus of lies is an apparatus of secrecy, right. um, where most of the war on terror in its operational form still resides. We haven't remotely seen most of what the war on terror in fact is. This happens so overwhelmingly out of sight And then on top of that is an atmosphere from uh, political, journalistic, and intellectual classes of justification, of normalization, of reckoning this as uh, the unfortunate costs that are still necessary in a dangerous world if you don't want another 9-11 to happen. You know, think about how rarely uh, the stories of the people who were on the receiving end of the war on terror have been told over the last 15 of the last 20 years think about how readily you've heard and you know are going to hear again in this wave of commemorative coverage for the 20th anniversary that's about to happen that america after 9 11 was united together yeah. i recently had occasion um for some reporting that i'm going to be doing of my own like commemorative you know, 9-11 retrospective for my Substack newsletter, Forever Wars, to look at accounts from children uh, near where I live in Brooklyn, had at the time of the response to 9-11, a time when many of their parents were getting cards slipped under their doors from FBI and INS agents saying, call us, we need to talk, um, where they would tell community leaders how at school, They would be called Osama. Uh, They would be told to go back where they came from, uh, that they would get their ass kicked um, as vengeance for 9-11, that they were going to get, and this is something that came up again and again, threatened um, with being informed on to immigration authorities or the NYPD or the FBI or something like that, and a lot of them as well wrote in a section where they were in, like, asked like, did you, what action did you take in response? They were like, I wouldn't tell my teacher, I wouldn't tell anyone around me except like my, my parents because of how afraid they were. Like this, you know, it's, that was what the unity after 9-11 really concealed, who it was aimed against. And those are just, you know, some measures among men.
1: And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was great.
0: It was great. Yeah. Those pictures weren't embarrassing.
1: I thought you would laugh more at them. I mean, no, they weren't embarrassing. Partly because he looks the exact same, I realized So like you he doesn't. Really
0: I, could, I, I, I could barely. But you don't think identif- identif- so? No, I couldn't identify him at I guess all.
1: he's gone through puberty. So that's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of pubescent in those, but they were cute
0: yeah were you in any of those photos
1: no he no. was a year ahead of me so there could be some photos with us but that like the camp uh actually depending on when that was i could have been on that same trip i have to find out from my friend who took them uh what years those were from
0: mm. look that was really interesting yeah. you know the, the book the book's thesis is really interesting i did like uh, i didn't agree with everything in it yeah. but but i think as a chronicle of all the stuff that's gone wrong during. The, that time period it's it's incredibly valuable because among other things because most of the books written about the war on terror have been written from the other point of view you know we really haven't looked at the at the war from the concept from the from the point of view of this was a disaster from the start that could have been averted by right. by using yeah. employing some other policy that didn't in, involve just randomly striking out at somebody because we've, we were pissed it really it's really graded it, and it walking, us through all those bad decisions, all the bad political decisions, everything that happened during the the Obama years that kind of politically nudged us towards Trump, he's very laser focused on, you know, a, a question we just don't talk about a whole lot, which is what, it, what is the political and psychological subtext of this entire gigantic right. enterprise, which nobody ever, we don't talk about it. We're yeah, more we all,
1: it granted. Yeah.
0: all over the place. And everybody seems to think that it's all interconnected because they're all jihadists or something like that. But these are different groups, it's different situations. Some of them are not terrorist groups, some of them are internal civil wars. We're just all over the place having military operations that are, are doing different things, and we never really think about what why that is. I mean, like for, if you remember the eighties, it was like a huge deal. We went to Grenada for, for two That's, days, I felt
1: so much safer,
0: right? Like they made a Clint Eastwood movie about that. And we, you know, today that wouldn't, it, it, it would, it would not make the news unless something remarkable happened, like a Kardashian landed there by mistake, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Did you see Ian Mill? What's his name? Ian Milhouse. Is that his name? Who tweeted like today, this is the first day of my life. America's not at war or something no people have to remember we're still a war we're still in a bunch of wars
0: yeah no we're, we're, we're all over the place anyway it's a really interesting book it's definitely yeah. worth reading thanks for listening we'll we'll talk yeah, to you again next week make sure you and subscribe, yeah rate review all that stuff and uh we'll see you again on uh, uh on monday
1: on monday monday morning and see you again next week and yeah make sure you get our, our uh if you if you are watching this listening to this make sure you do the sub stack so you can see some embarrassing pictures of Spencer Ackerman. That's right. That's right. All right. All right. Take care Thanks, now. Thanks guys. Bye. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching useful idiots for full episodes and extended interviews. Please subscribe at useful You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash useful idiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at useful idiot pod. And use the hashtag UsefulIdiotsPod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday morning show where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them.